Shut up and sit down. everyone i i want to know why watermelon is 80 bucks in japan seriously do i need to send you guys some watermelon seeds because i'm willing to make that sacrifice for you 80 bucks why is it 80 bucks i just spent six dollars on a watermelon i i I need to know why yours cost 80 dollars you can't grow them there i mean I know there's that crazy thing with, like, square watermelons that you can't even eat because they're not actually good to eat, and people buy those for, like, status statements. I think that's in China. Anyway, my grandpa used to grow watermelons on a fence. I'm just saying. You don't actually, I mean, you can, you can, you can finagle stuff. Just saying. Finagling. He would spread the vine out across um, this fencing. And the the fencing was the top of the pig pen. um, And the watermelon would grow. I'm just saying. It was very weird. He was very crafty. Grow your own watermelon. Don't pay 80 bucks for a watermelon. <laughs> just, that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> Grow your own and sell them to your neighbors. <laughs> oh, anyways, we're going to get started. Um, I'll put Jilly on there. Uh, tonight, I was um, grocery shopping, and normally I do my grocery shopping um um, during the day, and I want to say up front that I'm 100% fine and nothing happened to me, but I was um, m- removing the cargo net from the back of my SUV because I didn't have, the cargo net was kind of detrimental to putting my groceries in because um, I had more groceries than the cargo net allowed me room. Anyway, I was removing the cargo net and stick it in its little spot slot in my car, and I turned around and there was this man like way up in my personal space. And I didn't see him because I was a dumbass and I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings. Pay attention to your surroundings, ladies. And he asked me if I had any cash. And I kind of jerked my cart um, between us and said, no, I don't. And he tried to come around the cart. And so are you sure you don't have any cash? And I said, I am positive, but I do have mace. And he held up his hands. And walked walked away calling me a bitch. Now, I do have mace. <laughs> That's no joke. I also have a gun, but my purse was already in the car. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Don't mess with Kira. You carry mace or my pepper purse. spray? Mace. I carry mace. Hmm. Um... I uh, it's illegal, but I don't care. What are they gonna do? 
Nothing. Oh, okay, Your Honor. Um, I'll pay the fine for Mace, but what about the man I Mace? What's going to happen with him? That's going to be a really good headline. Woman charged fined for having Mace while attacker goes free. Because <laughs> men often get away with that shit, right? But anyway, because I do carry a weapon, I do tend to put my purse in the car before I um, uh, unload groceries and stuff because it's my responsibility to secure my weapon. It's my that's my responsibility. Um, no, I don't holster anymore. Um, no, that's just not comfortable. I'm, but um, I do keep um, mace on my keychain, and I had it. I almost maced myself a couple of months ago because it got stuck in my purse. Be careful, ladies, if you have a keychain mace. Just saying. Um. And I was trying to jerk it free, and I forgot the mace was on there. And when I got it finally free, the little cap part that you flip up was flipped up. I went, oh, shit. How am I going to explain that? I maced myself in the emergency room. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know if you come into the emergency room with pepper spray and mace or mace injuries, they automatically call the cops. Really? On the assumption that you have been maced or pepper sprayed by somebody else. But you deserved it. <laughs> right. But no, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm a responsible gun owner. Um, so I secured my purse in my vehicle, locked the doors, and then went back around the back and used my little button to open up the back. That's just what I do. But anyways, yeah, he was off in my personal space because I wasn't paying attention. So pay attention, ladies. Now, normally I pull the net out before I even leave my driveway, but I forgot. So I come home and tell my husband this. He is he says the most charming thing. He says, well, you're never going to the grocery store by yourself again at night. And I'm like, honey. Well, he, keeps, he keeps saying that. Yeah, I know, but then I, go, I, I sneak off when he's not paying attention. Um, and I said, honey, you don't honestly think the sunlight keeps me safe from strange men, right? More stuff does happen at night. That, that's true. It is true. People, more, more, more bad crap happens at night. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is the last time I got approached in the parking lot, it was broad daylight. It was a target. Somebody else asked yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. when I was at, when I was in my late, I think I was in my late twenties, maybe mid twenties. I'm pretty sure it was late twenties. Yeah, um, I was. Um, I had a really bad habit. I thought, actually, comparatively, I checked the crime stats of the places I've, places I've lived, and compared to most of the country, it was a really safe area. But um, I didn't hesitate to go out and walk at night, I mean, late, like one or two o'clock in the morning. And um, I was walking. I went to the grocery. We had a twenty-four hour grocery store about half a mile away, and I walked to the grocery store in the middle of the night. And I'm walking home like at one thirty in the morning or something like that. And this cop pulls over. And he gets out of the car. He was a really nice guy. But he gets out of the car and he cries, crosses his arms. He says, do you do this often? And he actually, he asked where I was going. I said, I'm going home. I'm right there. He says, do you do this often? And I said, what? He said, walk around in the middle of the night. I said, yeah. He said, young lady, this is not safe behavior. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I got the biggest talking to when he started it with young lady. This is not safe behavior. I expect you to be not wandering around after 10 p.m. Taking, don't you not have a car? I said, I've got a car. He said, well, if you run your errands before 10 or take your car. I was like, it, I, I, I was just kind of like, oh. And then he made me get in the car and drove me home. <laughs> That's a dad. Yeah. That's a dad right there. I was like, this is this. I was like, I can't believe you're telling me that. I, he's like, at least you're part, because I had to get a gate of community. He goes, at least you live in a safe place. I said, you're not going to walk me to my door, are you? He says, no, I'm just going to make sure you get through that gate right there. So Amy, it was just, it was so funny. I, 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 can't, got, I had I, such a lecture. I can't come to Australia because I'm a statistic waiting to happen. And Australia has a lot of things in it that will kill me. Yeah, I can't go to Australia either. I have, I have Can such I a bad history of being poisonous spiders. I mean, is that is that legal to to um to, to mace a kangaroo? Because <laughs> you have to stay in the city, in town. There'll be no wandering around so there are for you. And giant spiders. <laughs> I am a hundred percent positive that I would be one of those tourist statistics if I came to uh, Australia. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure I'd be bit by a funnel web within 24 hours. It would just that's just I yeah, that's just my spider karma. I mean, we just need to line them up because I've already got you know I've got the black widow bite in my wrist, mid forearm. I've got the, right in a row. I've got the brown recluse bite where there's a big chunk of nothing in there anymore. It's just right here on my elbow. It's just primed. Just put the funnel web bite. Get me the trifecta. Speaking of brown recluses, and I realize it didn't actually come from Australia. I ordered something from my mom, and um, my mom is um, a huge Elvis fan, and she wanted a movie, a particular movie, and that movie was only available in a Elvis Presley themed store in Australia, and it was all Regions DVD, and so I spent an astronomical amount of money to get this for her for her birthday, and it came. You know, um, across the world to me, <laughs> and I got a notification on my phone that you know Elvis was in my mailbox. So I went out to my mailbox and got Elvis, and I brought him in. And I have a habit of opening packages um, um, across, over my sink. Um, it's just something that I do. I, so I grabbed a knife and I was slitting the tape. And as I slit the tape, a brown recluse crawled out of the box. <laughs> so I killed it, obviously. I'm not afraid of spiders. Um, and I'm like, okay, Australia, I get it. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> now, there's I a, there's a don't visit. It didn't actually come from Australia. It probably crawled into the box um, during shipping, you know. But, yeah, so I don't think, I, I don't think brown recluse actually – are indigenous to Australia. So it had to have come, it had to have gotten into the box after it hit the United States. But still, I took it for the warning shot it was. <laughs> I'll just stay over here. <laughs> Mom loved your movie. I could have done without the brown recluse. (laughs) 
But yeah, that was my evening. I so then I went to Publix um, and uh, got some stuff. And then I came home and told my husband, and he was all fit up. Why didn't you tell me? I like, I'd met you over at Publix. I was like, what was that bad tech going to do? Follow me to Publix? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> You okay over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I was getting so much static on my headset that I decided to switch headsets. I should have muted before. I think I did mute, but I think when you change audio sources, your mute goes off. So, oh. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Sound great. Okay. So we're going to talk about <laughs> expectations um, in fandom for um, writers and readers, and this is just a continuation of last night's conversation. Um, now that I have meandered through my evening, um, uh, <clears throat> and we can talk about, you know, uh, if you have, you know, questions in the chat room about it, um, feel free to to chime in and give us some questions. Um, so, um, Jilly, why don't you start so I can finish eating my green beans? <laughs> <laughs> Give me some context for these expectations, just in general. Well, like, you know, um, well, I'll start, I'll start with something that, that you, reader expectation has grown as you've gone more, um, gotten more popular as a writer. Um, I think in some ways, yes. Um, some expectations, like there's an expectation of, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no! Don't double stuff like that in the chat room because people have arachnophobia. Okay, somebody. I, I don't want to waste time. Somebody move that thing up the up the thing so that I, I can. I'm 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 not watching chat till that thing is gone. Um, okay, it's gone. Um, like there's an expectation of volume that's weird because I've actually, I wrote a lot last year. Um, but I just didn't get to the finish stage on a lot of things. And, um, and, and so I got, I got a lot of messages from people about, um, are, are you okay? Are you still writing? Um, I haven't, we haven't really seen anything from you in a couple of months, you know, have you, I actually got one person very panicked. Have you left fandom? And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I participate. I haven't missed a rough trade. I don't think there's ever been a rough trade since I started that I haven't signed up for. There have been a couple that I had to kind of bow out of because of um, life stuff. But I don't think I've ever really, you know, I, I mean, I, there's been proof of life. And I usually do at least one of the NCIS bangs a year, um, either the Big Bang or the Reverse Bang, Secret Santa. Um, some, well, some years I do all three. So there's sort of proof of life in there if people are paying attention. Um, but I think there have been times when I've been posting and finishing a lot more. And so I've, I've, I've got a, like a lot, a lot of writing done. Um, but I just haven't kind of finished anything in a while. I haven't also been in the mood to second draft anything. And that's that's an issue of, of for some writer for writers is that sometimes you're not in the mood. To, you're in the mood to write, and being in the mood to write does not mean you're in the mood to edit. It, to me, it's a very different mindset. And um, second drafting <laughs> is more of a yeah. Second, doing a second draft is much more of an 
editing process than it is a, a writing. It, there is writing involved, but it's a very analytical, critical approach to what you've already done. And uh, it's just not the same mindset. So if I'm in the mood to write, I want to write or plot or, you know, something like that. I don't – editing is a different mood. So, but anyway, I, so I had a concern for this. Was this like, I think, an expectation of, you know, volume and then questions about all these works that they people know I've started, like on Rough Trade, that I haven't finished, and are you ever going to finish this? Have you abandoned it? Um, so I think there's expectations somewhere in there. Um, I don't think my NCIS fans like it when I stray from the fandom. I think that gets them twitchy. Um, but, you know, um, on the other hand, every time I post something from NCIS, I get um, either um, a fan of one of my Harry Potter stories that have not been finished who write and go, oh, my God, please tell me you're going to finish the story. You're not abandoning it. And I'm like, no, I haven't abandoned anything. But, you know, that's just – so I think that there have been some expectations that have grown. But, I mean, people have pretty much stopped bitching at me about my pairing choices. Um, and it was funny because that was a memory on Facebook today was that this time three years ago, somebody had written me um, – I I, I'd have to go back and find the original comment um, – but the the line they use the the comment they the comment they made let me see if I can find it again I don't want to get it wrong um, that I quoted was they were questioning my pairing choices and um, they they're they're talking about their OTP which is Tony Gibbs and um, that it was a it was a I want to get the quote right where is it a casualty of my indiscriminate pairing indiscriminate right. <laughs> And based upon the timing, the only thing they could have been referring to is the journey home, which was Tony Jack O'Neill. Um, I don't really have any indiscriminate pairings. I think about them pretty hard. I don't just um, pick a random person and make a story out of it. So the word it, it made me laugh. Uh, the whole casualty of indiscriminate pairing I thought was hysterical. Um, it was kind of symptomatic of something that was going on at that time, which I, you know, did the big Tony Gibbs story first. I think people thought because that was my first story, that was like my, my OTP or something. And so when I kept not going there again, um, I think I, I did one, one, one or two other stories for challenges where I didn't have, really have a choice. Um, they, um, they just it, people would bitch at me about. Are you ever going to go back and write Tony Gibbs? Are you going to? But I think I've been pretty clear at this point that that's not my OTP, and people need to get need to get over it. Uh, so I'm glad that that has stopped because if I was constantly defending my pairing choices, I would I would be pretty pissed. I dig. When I first posted Harry Hermione. I put an author note on it saying that I did not want to hear any complaints about the pairing. My pairings are my choice. And I will delete a comment in a hot minute <laughs> if I don't like what you have to say and move on. Because, no, I don't have time for that. 
Yeah, I, it's just it's just a, this crazy thing for people to bitch at me about. I expected a lot of heat over the Tony um, Tony original character story that I posted, um, and I really didn't get any. I thought people would hate him being with an. And actually, well, I, I fucking loved it. I really, I, I, it's just one of my. Actually, he's one of my. He's probably my favorite OC that I've ever done. Is Ethan. Um, and actually, I got the opposite. A lot of people say they normally don't read original characters in the main pairing and how much they enjoyed it. Um, a lot of people thought he came from another show. Uh, I guess I got some questions <laughs> about what show is he from. And I was like, he's original character. He's not from anywhere. Um, so, so that was um, so that was that was interesting. I, I I expected that was a case of author expectation. As I expected more negative reaction than I got. Um, and so it was actually really nice that my readers responded more positively than um, than I expected. So that was good. I um, expected a lot of, whoa, Kira, when I was writing Darkly Lowell. I expected people to go, oh, oh, oh wait, could you not? Uh, um, that, that's a lot of killing. <laughs> But what I got was a lesson in just how murderous my fan base can be. We're we're a bloodthirsty bunch. No one said, oh, please don't kill this character. Oh, they were like, oh, yeah, kill them. Kill them all. Kill them all. I mean, I don't think I killed a single person where they were like, oh, I wish you hadn't done that. Not not a single one. Now, I did work hard in Dark Little World to make everybody who got killed deserve it. I think that's important because when you kill somebody that doesn't deserve it, you're like, oh, fuck you. How could you do that? But if they got it coming, hell yeah. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) So they were all about the volcano. And I was, I I even talked about it in the bitch squad, how I was kind of worried about how, um, how violent my plot was. And I kind of toned it down and um, uh, had a lot of killing off screen because I was worried that my readers would be like, um, Kira, are you okay? <laughs> Should we be worried about your husband? But no, no. They were 110% <laughs> on board with every single bit of it. I was like, wow, wow. <clears throat> yeah, but part of it, there's, there were several things that went into that that I think made it made it really work. Well, Dark Seraphina point, pointed something out. She says, to be fair, it's the fandom. If you killed 30-plus characters in NCIS, I might have given you a side-eye. Um, so there's a lot of people that need killing in Harry Potter. Um, so there's there's that aspect of it. But there's also um, that you set this... You, your, your story was definitely um, a, a salt and burn kind of thing. There was going to be... Um, you know, it it was it was gonna it was raising it to the ground tone of tone of the story. It was well. I opened the story with a cold blooded murder. Right, right. It, the opening is Harry gut Percy Weasley. Well, she he had <laughs> just killed basically just killed Hermione. So it was yeah. The tone of the the tone of the story was like you knew early on from the first chapter what you were getting into. And it would have been, in a way, a letdown for the, for the buildup in the beginning if they weren't going on a murderous spree. Um, right. Like, there's a story I read recently 
Um, I won't say the fandom, but it's a time travel thing where the character is um, dealing with problems before they came up. And it was really good, except for this one thing, is they flat out murdered somebody who hadn't in the, who was going to, in the future, do something really awful. They murdered them before they took, did any bad acts. And the context of it in the story, I had a really hard time with it because it was the only thing they did in their time travel that was – it wasn't like they time traveled to deal with all these bad people in this around. They were actually trying to make a better life for themselves. And the, so the tone of that murder just really, it was jarring. It was like, ugh. Um, so that was, I mean, that's the case of where it's like different. It's like as I'm reading, my expectations were that he was going to continue to deal with things in a um, ethical way, because that's what he'd been doing. He'd been manipulative, but basically ethical. Um up to that point, and then he murdered somebody, and so it was sort of jarring with the, the tone. But when I read Darkly Loyal, I mean, there was nothing jarring about them killing people. You knew what they were going back to do. You knew it was it was going to be a take no prisoners. We're going to salt the earth and burn it. You know. Um, so yeah, I thought, yeah, but I you know, but you, I did talk you, about how I was worried. So um, I did have an expectation you were, you were, of. Um, you you were worried and you had an expectation, but you also you did a really good job of setting the reader's expectation in the story. Um, and I think that that really made a difference. I honestly having Draco and Harry kill I thought really natural. Seeing um, Hermione's personality um, and her journey into their uh, into their triad and to the changes that their marriage went through because of the time travel and because of the killing and because of the hallows being absorbed into their bodies um, and in their magical souls to be, to be more accurate. Uh, opening up her character to that level of violence was um, not a stumbling block, but it, uh, it took some mental adjustment on my part. Well, I do see Harry as very black and white. When I write him, he's, um, um, in a lot of ways, uh, I kind of mentally compare Harry Potter and John Shepard. Um, and um, when I'm shifting their worldview, it, it, it feels very natural to, to have them take actions like this. But Hermione, no, that took some effort on my part. So that was a stumbling block. I not a stumbling block. It was a, an adjustment I had when I was writing that I didn't expect to happen. I could but see fine. that. I could see that because I mean I think Hermione has a very the way you write her. She's usually she's got a very firm center. She has a lot of moral conviction. Um, So, yeah, I could see that that would be a difficult adjustment to shift her to somebody who's a little bit more flexible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my intention in her in her past, in the past, 
was to kind of mirror how she responded to the marriage of Draco and Harry and then her being added to their household after the fact Um, Mm -hmm. and how she kind of, you know, adjusted and moved and um, entrenched herself in their lives and fell in love with um, Draco, uh, who's already in love with with Harry Potter. Um, And so there was um, her her adjustment from from being someone um, coming out of a, a damaging relationship and opening herself up to to Draco and to Harry and you know revealing these vulnerabilities that she had and um, really going from a woman who could barely think to have sex with one man to regularly having sex with two often at the same time. So that was a big adjustment for her. So when I took her into the past, I mirrored that adjustment with the killing. I don't know. That really wasn't my intention, but that's what happened. (laughs) That wasn't a plot point, but it became one as I wrote. And sometimes that happens with characterization as you're writing. You, um, I, not you, I tend to sometimes mirror circumstances, um, in situations like that, uh, and um, so, yeah, that's like the the in Sentinels of Atlantis that you know Andy is um, a mirror of John. And mirroring, I think mirroring is a way. Uh, um, you gotta be careful with mirroring. Oh, you do. You, you can't be too. The problem is a lot of times I see it too literal, too too literal a mirror. Yeah. You know. Um. I think one of the good things, one be... of the better things that J.K. Rowling did was her mirroring of Harry Potter and Voldemort. I think she did a very good job with that. Yeah, I agree. Because you don't want it to be, you almost want it to not be noticeable until the story's over. You know? Or until you've been a good way into it. You don't want the mirroring to be so obvious that the reader's like, okay, um, it needs to be kind of a very gradual kind of thing that the reader picks up on. I have to pick up on it at all. Um, they're they're going to get subconsciously, but um, yeah. So but I thought that you, I mean, that's one of the things about writer expectations is that there's, you just have to manage your own expectations, of course, when you're posting mm-hmm. stuff. Um but there's different kinds of expectations. And I think that one of the things that, you know, if you want people to, you're trying to get an elicit a response with certain things, right? And if you want to elicit a, that response, you have to manage the expectations. You have to give to craft the story to get there. Um, like sometimes I see stories where I know they're trying to elicit emotional response but it's like it's very abrupt and it feels contrived. Like it, I, I thought that it's trying to elicit emotional response because it's just kind of abruptly that thing. It's abruptly emotional as opposed to building to it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think that was one thing you did really, really well though. Darkly loyal is, is managing um, and setting the expectations for the reader and then following through on that throughout the story. The 
one of the more difficult things is when you have a reader reading between your lines, making assumptions, and then building expectations that you have no intention of meeting. <laughs> it is like... <clears throat> You know, I that's not what I meant. When I, you know, I, I, yeah. like sometimes the curtains are just blue. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Sometimes people read between the lines and you're going, what? Well, that's interesting that they saw something. that, And sometimes they see something that isn't there, or at least I didn't intend, but it doesn't hurt that it's there. And sometimes people read between the lines and they see something. But not only is it not there, it is completely contrary to where the story is going. And it's like, wow. Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm writing. I'm, they're talking about. Um, um, they're talking about um, Steve Rogers in the chat room, and I'm writing to. Um, in July, I'm writing to stories that will take place around the first Avengers movie. Well, a little bit before on one of them, and a little bit after on the other. And um, the more I dig into, um, I I really I I really enjoyed Steve. There's flaws in his in his character profile, basically, in the way that they set up his character. Um, the whole Captain America thing, he's not actually a captain. So Captain America is an honorary title. There is no Captain Rogers, okay? Um, I don't What's his rank in the Army? Prom- I don't think you can do a field promotion from private to captain. I don't think that's actually possible. Um No, I mean, if I was going to field promote um, someone just to get an officer, it'd probably be lieutenant. Unless they already have a high rank as an NCO. Um, Battlefield promotions are usually only the next rank up. Um, But I think they can do a little bit further than that in extreme situations. But I don't even, it's not even clear that he actually finished boot camp. So he was a private when he at most when he took the serum and he he went straight from that to his his uh USO tour and then he he had that honorary title of Captain America that was that was like a show title um and then he started running and then he basically defied orders and um because he was successful they let him keep running missions and then you know he was he was he was stupidly brave but he had no training Right, all of his training was was basically in combat situations. So he had no no actual strategic or tactical training. He had not been through officer training school. He had not been. Um, well, he can be Captain America and still be Private Rogers because it's sort of like being an honorary. A, a show title is not the same thing as rank. Um, it's kind of like but being Doctor Stark and Iron Man. Because Tony Stark has several PhDs, but he's never called doctor. Right. In some countries, they don't call you doctor. In the U.S., they call people doctor um, if you have a PhD. But in some countries, you're only a doctor if you're a medical doctor. Um, doesn't matter if you've got a PhD. I have, to, so, I have to mute myself because I am out of tea, and it is a national emergency over here. Or at the very least, it's okay. a cure emergency. I shall return. 
Um, but, yeah, so, well, we don't know that he didn't eventually finish boot camp. That's not completely clear. But I, it, it's he really didn't have, um, at most, his rank would have been private. And if they if they gave him several battlefield promotions, he still would not have been um, even a lieutenant. So Captain America was uh, an it was a show title. It, it was it was theatrical. Um, Captain Rogers doesn't exist because that couldn't have possibly been his rank. There would be no way to field promote him in such a short period of time to the rank of captain. Um, yeah, it was sort of a stage name. Yeah, but you know, I read a story where somebody suggested that Captain America was a position. It wasn't necessarily Steve Rogers, and that somebody more. Um, that it should be it should be who who fills that who fills that position um, should go to the person who's the most qualified to fill it. It was an interesting take on the idea that it's a position and not a person. But anyway, um, so there was I had I had some kind of vague issues around um, Steve in 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 the in the, in the Captain America movie. Um, I had much bigger issues in the Avengers movies because they were trying to position him as the team leader. And that was problematic for somebody who really had not had um, formalized training in, in tactics and how to lead a team and stuff. But we'll set that aside too. Suspend my disbelief, set that aside. We get to Captain America Winter Soldier and I just lost the plot. I mean, or they lost the plot. Somebody lost the plot because he dumped... I understand that Shield needed to go. That I didn't disagree with that. Um, Shield was so messed up; it was so so infiltrated by Hydra that that whole Project Insight thing was happening. Um, so Shield clearly needed to be brought down. But he dumped all of Shield's information out into the public without considering that not everybody who worked for Shield was actually an agent of Hydra. So it's reasonable to assume that he burned every S.H.I.E.L.D. asset that was in the field on under, doing undercover work. And that is, there's no way to morally justify that decision. None. Um, I just couldn't, I just, I, I didn't understand. I did not understand how somebody could make that decision and think it was a good idea, that it was, and I also, I, I, I lost all respect for, for Black Widow at that point, too, because she assisted him. And she was. She had been in that position. She knew how, how dangerous it was to compromise the cover of those agents. And um, they did it anyway. So they burned S.H.I.E.L.D. with no warning to anybody with assets in the field who were good people, who were just trying to do their job, who were people like Natasha and Clint, and they just fucked them over. Um, that is not the kind of behavior that I would find acceptable in um, somebody who was going to be leading a team or on that kind of team. It's just, it's just, it's, it's awful. She, she had to have known what she was going to do, which, which makes me think, I mean, if you follow that to his logical conclusion, Steve is a person out of time. 
Um, he he needed therapy. He needed before he was thrown back into being on a team and leading missions. He needed some training. He needed time to acclimate to the future, to the changing the changed world the political stage. Um, there's a lot of things he needed to understand about the modern world that he didn't understand clearly when the events of the movies happened. Um, but so his behavior is slightly more understandable because he may not truly have appreciated the consequences of his actions, but there is no excuse for Natasha not telling him and advising him that he was burning a lot of good people because they had no way of knowing how many Hydra agents were out in the field on undercover missions versus actual S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. So, yeah, there are a lot of stories that have pointed this out, but it was apparent to me in the movie. I watched Winter Soldier, and I just kind of, when I realized what they did, um, I just kind of stared. I, I just stood there stared with my mouth hanging open, like, how could they do that? You just don't do that. If they wanted to dump the information, they dump it on the FBI or the CIA or the NSA or Homeland Security or something. They don't dump it to the public. Um, I think it was the single biggest, ridiculous, amoral piece of shit thing that Steve Rogers has ever done. Because he exposed the secrets of... Which is why I, when I would write MCU, I... um, I can't write that. No, I have to set everything. Everything I write has to be set um, before um, Winter Soldier. I always set it like usually before or right after the first Avengers movie because they just, they lost their minds. They ruined two good characters in Winter Soldier. They ruined Steve and they ruined Natasha. Because even if, like, I, I think you may be getting too much said this, but even if, even if Steve because of his lack of appreciation of what the modern political world, what the modern world was like in terms of spy agencies and how technology works and all of that kind of stuff. His lack of knowledge could explain his lack of insight into his choices, but there's no excuse for Natasha not understanding the choices no. they made. And um, it makes her burned. look like a Psychopath. Hydra plant. It does, actually. It does make her look like she's Hydra. Or a complete psychopath. Or she's just, maybe she's on some kind of weird assignment to do whatever Steve tells her to do. I don't know. But it, it ruined both those characters. Winter Soldier ruined both those characters. Um, and, then the, and then the series proceeded to get progressively worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And um, so I just, it, it's really, it would be very difficult for me to, to work positively with Steve Rogers after the first movie, after the first Avengers movie. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, they could have done so much different. They could have given the information over to Tony um, and dumped the information into Jarvis's data banks and said, do something with this, rather than dump it on the public Internet. They had, they had other options. And even Steve, because he's not aware of what they could have done, Natasha should have known. It's just it's completely inexcusable what they did. Um, Is my typing loud? No. Okay. 
I don't think it's clear when Steve found out. Um, it was clear, and, and apparently in Civil in, in War, it was clear Steve had known for quite a while, but it's not clear when. So he didn't know in the Avengers movie, clearly, because he didn't know Bucky was alive. But at some point... He didn't Winter know Soldier Bucky was Angel. alive until several... I mean, there was a... It took him a while to figure out that Winter Soldier was actually Bucky, so... Um, When he did right. find but figure it out, after, he still wouldn't have known about Bucky's. So in between. Yeah, so between, but he found out sometime between the Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron that Bucky had had in one of his many raids on. Um, it was information that he got is that he found out Bucky had done that. So he clearly knew, um, and he had known for quite a while and chosen not to. Um. Okay, so somebody says that, that it's in Winter Soldier. That Well, he, he gets a file, but it's not clear that that was when he found out, but it's possible. Possible, um, yes, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's iffy. Because is that a file about Bucky, or is that a file um, with the full history of the Winter Soldier? Did they know the full history of the Winter Soldier at that point? Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. did. They had a file on him. They knew who his, his reported kills, kills were. They didn't know who he was. Well, somebody in S.H.I.E.L.D. knew because of all the Hydra people. In Nat the knew. Nat knew. Yeah, she knew. She didn't know. She didn't know. I don't think she knew it was Bucky, but she knew who, who some of his targets were. Um, so it's iffy, and I think that you can play with it as a as a writer. Um, but it nothing nothing makes Steve's choice to dump all of Shield's information on the public appropriate because he exposed so many secrets. It it had to have destroyed so many lives. Um, realistically speaking, uh, Shield has known who Spider Man was for a very long time. Um, since shortly after he was bitten, they should, the public should know, well, in fact, the matter is, is if he did that, then the the Avengers should know that Coulson's alive, because it would have exposed everything. Tahiti. It should have. It should have. The, the data dump should have, but I mean, unless, no. May, well, here's the you know, now that could be because it was exposed doesn't mean that anybody paid attention to it. I mean, of the Avengers, the Avengers didn't necessarily go through and look at all the information that they dumped. Um, but I, I do know. I, I thought, did. I, huh? Well, yeah, I have. To, it's just it's a weird thing that that people that there's not more fallout than there is now. Mind you. Um, what's it called? Um, Agents of Shield. Which I stopped watching because I got a little bit bored with it. Um, they, they, the fault the, because you know, the, the movie franchise does not factor in the stuff that happens in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does factor in all the movie events. So when Thor the Dark World happened, when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. picked up again, they were out there picking up, you know, dealing with the fallout of the Asgard crap coming back to Earth. So the, the show always reflected the stuff that was happening in the movie. 
And they spent a long time dealing with the implosion of S.H.I.E.L.D. and running for trying to find, um, the, you know, the government hunting them down and trying to arrest them and trying to kill them. Um, so Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. explored um, the fallout of a lot of, of their bases being exposed and their members being exposed and all of the arrest warrants being sworn out for all of them. So the show did kind of expose some of that fallout, even if I don't think they actually took it to its logical conclusion. Um, Yeah, there has to be stuff that was probably on private servers that did not include it in the data dump because um, Clint's information about his family didn't get exposed. That was made clear in Age of Ultron. Um, so there's some things that clearly didn't get exposed. Uh, it's just not, it was, really, but definitely a lot did because otherwise Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wouldn't have spent so much time on, um, and basically the whole organization, except for as far as I know, that one small segment of it um, was destroyed. A lot of people were arrested, killed. Um, the U.S. military went flat out after people who were members of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's why Maria Hill wound up working for Stark Industries is because that was the only way to keep her out of jail. So, um, I actually don't remember why we went down that tangent. It was something about setting expectations. It was something about setting expectations, but it was, and then there was a comment in the chat that kind of got me going on that little little thing. But they 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 failed to properly set expectations about Captain America because they gave you a set of evidence, a set of a set of data points about him that didn't line up with the actual plot like that he has all the training of a private and yet they're treating him like he's a seasoned leader and a few months I mean people followed Steve into these dangerous situations and they did a lot of stuff but that, I mean that was a case of desperation and the guy who basically wasn't going to get killed leading the charge so um, they were in a very responsive case of trying to hut hunt down all these Hydra bases and shut them down. And Steve was getting results. And that's one of the things with the military that's very true is if you're getting results, they're probably going to let you get away with it until you stop getting results. Um, so, I mean, it was wartime and stuff, but then so they give you all these data points in the first Captain America movie. And then when you come into the Avengers, it's like, is this guy really ready to be, does he have the training has he been brought up to speed on the on the on the present? Has he had a, has he had proper has he had therapy? I mean, what has happened to set make this guy ready for the responsibility and the role you're putting him into? And the answer is pretty much nothing. So there was this I don't know. There's a failure in there, a failure of character in there, and the way the character was built, where the character and the plot don't really line up, and. Um, Yeah, so. When I wrote um, With Your Heart on Your Sleeve, I had Steve tell uh, the people trying to keep him in the military that he was incapable of operating in a modern military situation. 
Because it was true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he did well in the invasion because all he was doing was fighting. But you could not insert a World War II soldier into the modern military complex. No. Realistically, he shouldn't even be able to... Answering his cell phone would be about as much as we could expect from Steve Rogers for a few years. He has a lot of catching up to do. He needed months and months and months in training, in just traveling, therapy, being used to technology, therapy. I mean, he needed, he needed a lot of time to acclimate, and he didn't get that. So when he started making shitty decisions, not actually all that surprising. Um, the, what was surprising to me is that people kept supporting him, that that Natasha and Clint and Sam all supported his shitty decisions, and they should have known better. So this, the franchise, from that perspective, it's entertaining, and I have been looking forward to seeing what was going on with Thanos since the first, since the first Avengers movie. So, I mean, I would continue to see through the franchise, but it, it, they lost the plot in Winter Soldier. They completely lost the plot. And um, it's just it's just a clusterfuck of suspending your disbelief in most of the movies from that point on. Um, the individual movies about the individual characters are often very good. Like Black Panther was exceptional. Um, Black Panther was exceptional. I was like, wow. Yes. <laughs> I like Guardians of the Galaxy too, as well, as well. I like One yeah. and too. Yeah, I think they kind of blew and I like Ragnarok. It with... Thor Ragnarok is is probably the most entertaining movie in the franchise, just for sheer entertainment value. Um, I will never get over the Devil's Anus. <laughs> no. I don't know no, how ain't... Tom Hiddleston asked them to see him safely through the Devil's Anus. With a straight how, face. How did he get? I don't know how he did that line. I just. I wonder how many takes that took. I. I I can't even imagine how many takes that took. Because there he is, all serious and British and shit, and classy. And imagine how many takes that took for them not to bust out laughing at him saying that line. Him plus him getting through it himself. I, It was awesome. Thor Ragnarok cracked me up. I mean, I laughed. I I thought it was really. I thought it was. I thought it was good. Mostly good. Most of it was good storytelling. Um, I thought they made some interesting advancements with um, with Thor's character. Um, of I was course, really glad they gave him a haircut. Over in the first ten minutes of uh, Infinity War on that front. <sighs> First tenants of Infinity War did kind of ruin me, but I was really glad that Thor finally got a haircut because uh, I was kind of I was kind of like over the flowing blonde locks, you know. I was like, yeah, you so will not really cut my hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like seeing Thor kind of grow up. So Thor Ragnarok was sort of Thor kind of growing up and learning how to be a king, um, and it was really enjoyable from that perspective. Um, and I yeah. love that final, the final battle set to Immigrant Song on um, 
on Asgard was just from just, uh, from from a cinematography perspective that was it was stunning it was stunning what they did with that um, so it's just it's just super they've done a really good job of making I think they were kind of losing steam in the franchise and they did a really good job of getting some new directors in and changing kind of changing things up a little bit and I in Black Panther um, when the general I don't remember her name um, when her guy when they're on opposite sides and he her loyalty um, when he asked her would you really hurt me and she says for Wakanda I, you know I would her loyalty was so absolute that it was just she was just stunning she was just stunning and I just oh, so I loved her she's my favorite she, part of the whole movie she is what I wanted Black Widow to be you know and I felt really let down by what they did with Black Widow in the series and the franchise so um, I don't need a, I don't need a, I don't need a, a Black Widow movie now. I really want that general to have her own movie. I gotta look up her name because I forgot it. Um, <laughs> I'm using my clicky keyboard, so if if you guys can hear that, I'll stop it. It's not as clicky as Lady Holder's quietest keyboard, but it's clickier <laughs> than most things I use. That's because she actually has a. Uh, a mechanical keyboard. Mhm. And that's why it's loud. If if you guys were curious about that, um, yeah. Nakia, I think that's her name. Is that how you pronounce it, Nakia? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that was the other girl. No, that was the that was the love interest. Okay, the Akoye. general's got a Okoye. Okoye, yes. Yeah, she was amazing. I want Okoye to have her own movie. I want her to be kicking, and she was kicking some serious butt. In uh... my husband and I were speculating speculating about um, uh, the uh, in in the comics. Uh, the sister eventually becomes Black Panther for Wakanda. Um, but with the events of Infinity War, um, I don't want to ruin it, but I was talking about who would be um, a good stand-in Black Panther, and my choice was Okoye. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah definitely. What? Yes. <laughs> Make her some flower tea. <laughs> and get her some armor. <laughs> I'm just saying, she would be a fantastic um, Black Panther. Sorry, Dark. Um, but um, yeah, in the comics, the the sister whose name is Shuri, she does become Shuri. the Black Panther um, because he is in New York with the Avengers, and uh, they need defense in Wakanda. You know, Wakanda. Uh, and so she takes the black, the, the serum, the flower tea as well, um, and becomes Black Panther for Wakanda. So um, I would love to see Okoye be Black Panther. I know. I know it has to follow the royal line, but I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, I don't care either. Well, but they have that whole battle, right? You you can fight to see who becomes the king. So, 
there's precedent for it not to be biologically whoever's it, it, it could be her. The rule of line is determined by combat. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I did have this little because when I saw Black Panther, you know, all of their um, heart-shaped flower is burned, and so they don't have any. And I had a little kind of follow-on bunny to um, Adaptable where Styles just shows up in, in Wakanda to summon more of their flowers so that their tradition can continue. Um, what I would say about that is that it's unrealistic for anybody to assume that they don't have seeds. Well, that's true. That flower is they so have, integral have, to their culture. They, they have to have a but, backup. Well, but they had that whole room was a backup, right? Because they only have one, one Black Panther at a time, conceivably. I didn't ever quite understand some of the progression of but the Black the Panther stuff. But the of them not having seeds is... Well, it depends. <laughs> the king commanded it all to be destroyed. Yeah, all the flowers. He didn't mention he the seeds. He could have. He could have commanded the seed be destroyed. Mm-hmm. He could have. Well, they could have all kinds of things. They could have other rooms. But if he was going to burn it so that nobody else could be the Black Panther, I would think he would do. He was not an idiot. I think he would do a pretty comprehensive job. Um, which, if I were to write that little bunny, that's where I would go. Is that they don't have any. Um, That'd be cute though. With Styles. Hi. I hear you guys need some flowers. <laughs> I'm here to make flowers. Hello. Oh, and what if they no, have like, a nematon? I don't what know if why they have one to come here, but what if Dr. they have Strange. a nematon in um in uh, Wakanda and it it gets up and moves? Because <laughs> that helps <laughs> with the border. <laughs> It just kind of unroots itself and starts wandering towards the border because Styles has shown up. And they're like, what the hell is going on? Where's that tree going? We got a problem. We don't know why it's moving. Yeah, well, that story's a little bit cracky on all the way around. It's not entirely cracky, but it's a little bit cracky. Um, it's fun. Imagine just John and Styles in, in Wakanda, and because uh, Doctor Strange made him a little portal. Sounds <laughs> like, and Justin, they're like, I'm adaptable. I'm adaptable. <laughs> I just can deal with this. Really straining my adaptability. <laughs> oh, so this shield um, is a, so this, there's actually a giant city behind this, and millions of people live here. Okay, 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 cool. This is actually a little bit more normal than than the tree. Oh, look, there's a tree. Yeah, okay. (sighs) And trees trees do like to hug John. So everywhere he goes, they'd be huggy, huggy, you know. (laughs) I have a hobbit fic where the trees are kind of sentient. And Bella is a Faeborn. And um, she talks to the trees and, and they do things for her. And, um... They're traveling on a boat in a river, and uh, orcs come. <clears throat> Dwarves use a willow tree to to swing off the boat and into battle. 
And um, at some point, Feely rather rashly demands that Bella throw him onto land because his uncle is battling the pale orc. And so she does it. Later on, he tells his uncle that he regrets his life choices (laughs) and that he will never ask that hobbit to throw him again. (laughs) Anyway, the hugging reminded me of the trees in that fic. I think that would be, but I think it's just the idea of John's walking through Wakanda and trees just randomly kind of hug him as he passes and he's used to it. And people in Wakanda are just staring like, what is going on? And they're just, you you know, I'm so sorry that our trees keep grabbing you. We don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have any idea what's going on. He's like, no, no, I'm used to this. I don't don't know any willows hug me. There aren't any willows in Wakanda, are there? Because my wife has an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get a little too handsy. <laughs> oh, so, reader expectations, writer expectations. I'm trying to like find find my thread. I don't think I I lost the thread going into the into the the Avengers stuff. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about Avengers because I'm going to be writing in it in July. Mm-hmm. Um, both stories, so it's kind of kind of on my brain. I'm doing, um, I'm doing my first Harry um, Draco Sentinel fic. Um, I'm very excited it isn't for that. It, I, it isn't one of the ideas that I had in my notebook. I was um, thinking, I was actually I over on Be Funky planning, um, just doing some, just making some banners and just adding art that I had on my, in my folder. And I came across those two pictures of, of the dragon and the um, Thunderbird. And I put them up, and I was like, oh. And so I put the pictures of, of Draco, of Tom Felton and Harry Potter, or Daniel Radcliffe, in that thing. And I was fiddling with the little... And I was like, how to do it, how to do it, how to do it. And then I realized that um, that I asked myself, what would happen if... Lucius knew his son was a sentinel and the Dark Lord comes back. I realized that that in that moment that if Lucius loved his son that he would do everything in his power to keep his his son who's a sentinel out of the hands of the Dark Lord because a sentinel would be horrifically vulnerable to someone who likes to torture people. Yeah. Especially if he was forced to be loyal through the dark mark. Um, and so I was like, well, how would he do it? And I've already done the one where he sacrificed and killed himself, or basically allowed himself to be killed, you know, to save Harry. And I wanted to do something a little bit different. And I thought, well, what if he disowns him for his own good? And that's where it came from. And so it was just like I was just playing with Be Funky, trying to make some art, you know, just where I was going to go for July, and it just popped into my head. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I knew what I saw. I was very excited when I saw it, and I love the art that you picked, that you put together. Thanks. I love the pictures, especially the pictures of the, um, the spirit animals that you picked. Um, for the, both. Um, I love my cats on the other one, the gravity one. Yeah, I love those cats beautiful. with their eyes. The um, 
when I saw it, I was like, I knew it wasn't an existing idea you had because you didn't have any short ideas already. No, <laughs> so, no. I was like, she was something new. She had to have because she didn't have anything that was short. Um, no, I don't. So we'll, we'll, so we'll see how it goes. That's true. You never know if this short is even possible. What one of my stories is going to be kind of skipping a little bit through time, through events in up to up through the Avengers and stuff. And it's weird. My plot. I have plot that could go quite far, but I just figured it, it's weird. It's because of the way I, the story is designed. I could cut the story at any point because what I have intended for falling action could actually happen after any of the events, any of the plot events. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to kind of, when I get close to 20,000 is when I'll go, okay, well, that's the last plot point that's making it. And then we'll start to falling action and the story. Um, it's just, I don't think I've written anything, something like that where the end is so movable. So it's fun though. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't have to include it. Like, these are all events that could be fun to see played out, but they are not integral to um, the story. And it's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's just weird how the, how the structure of that story is coming together. It's what I'm going to do second because I'm going to have to, because of the flexibility in the plot, it's going to need a little bit more management. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas the other story is a lot less plot flexible. Um, it will either it only be right around twenty k. I'm hoping it won't run long. I'm gonna try to really manage the um, any of the nonsense to keep it from letting that one go long. No, no, neither one of us are very good at pantsing. I don't. Well, I'm, I'm not. I can pant, and so can she. It's just it doesn't really fit with our mental. <laughs> no, yeah, there's, there's no pantsing. Um, it. The, both stories are plotted. It's just the one that has what I would call flexibility is I could include more events um, if I have word count available. There are more events I could put in to show the advancement of their relationship, or I could, you know, and when I get close to the word count, I can go, this is where it could end, or it could keep going. So when I say it has plot flexibility, I don't mean that I'm going to be panting it. I just mean that there are there are plot elements, themes that I could put in or not. So I guess those could um, be considered vanity scenes. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with the vanity scene. So there's, but yeah, and and because it's entertaining, I would want to put as many of them in as I can. Um, but I don't. I want to. I want to meet the challenge too. So I want to. I want to stand under twenty k. So it and meet fifteen minimum. So. Um, when I get over 15 is when I'm going to start looking, you know, once I, once I get to 15 K, I'm going to start looking at, you know, what do I need to do to complete the story? And this is my ending. I know what it is. Um, and um, how many of these scenes, vanity scenes am I going to put in? So, and we'll see. But the other story, you know, the other story is very, um, I have, I, my estimate is 17 um, K on that one. Um, but which for me usually means 27 K. So, <laughs> but I decided I was talking to somebody about um, this is kind of an expectations thing. I was talking to somebody about you know 
they asked me why I didn't write Tony's a Sentinel more often. And I, I've talked Tony Denozo because I don't write Tony Stark very often. Um, they asked me why I don't write him more as a Sentinel more often. And I said, well, I've done it once. And, um, uh, I've talked about this on the podcast too, is that I, I, Tony, I can see either way. Um, but most of the people I would pair him with, I am more rigid in my thinking about. Um, like I don't see Steve as a as a guide at all. No. So no. In 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 that pairing, Steve is going to always be the sentinel, which means Tony's always going to be the guide. So um, the same thing if I were to write um, Tony Gibbs, is I see Gibbs as a sentinel, not a guide. So. Um, when I think about possible pairings, same thing with Jack. I see Jack as a sentinel. I don't see him as a guide. So it, when I consider possible pairings, the rigidity is not about Tony. It's about the other side of the equation. But the other person I was thinking about that I could see in either role is Tony Stark. And that's when I decided to write the same pairing and invert the roles in the two stories. And to explore in the same challenge switching who the Sentinel the guide is in, in the next story. So I'll be starting with Tony Sentinel, Ditto the Sentinel. <laughs> the Tony Tony thing is only going to be a pain in the ass talking about it because I've already got it worked out how I'm not going to have that issue in the story. But Denoza <laughs> will be the Sentinel in the first story and Stark will be the Sentinel in the second story. Pretty interesting. I, um, I don't have any rigidness when it comes to um, Harry and being a sentinel or a guide, you might have noticed, um, I tend to switch them around. Um, I'm making him a guide in flight because I have a hard time seeing Draco as anything but a sentinel. I don't know why. I think I could see I think I could see Draco either way, but I see him more as a sentinel than a guide. Um I, mean, I, I have could, an I idea where he's do. a guide, but I worry that it'd make him more vulnerable to his father. Maybe that's the problem. Um, you'd have to read emotionally either, either like you'd have to do something to get him out of that situation in in a way. Either either reform Lucius or or Draco comes online, his mother gets him out of there, or something to change things up. Um, right, like there's a mag- like there's a magical sentinel guide council kind of thing, and when Draco comes online, they claim custody of him. I don't know, but you'd have to do something because I agree that as Lucius is in canon, it would be problematic for Draco to be um, a guide around all those Death Eaters. Oh, my phone was trying to escape. I don't know where it was trying to go, but it was trying to leave. Yeah, it's interesting because I some characters when you have that thing, it'll be interesting to write. Um, it'll be interesting to write the exact same pairing twice and change the dynamic up so much. So that'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it, I have some expectations in a, of difficulty, <laughs> actually, <laughs> because well, in flight, uh, Harry's always known that Draco was his sentinel practically from the moment he met him um but and and draco knows that harry is his guide it's just they the circumstances don't allow them to be together to to be together and um 
when Lucius disowns him to to protect him, they're still in school. Because there's like a month between the resurrection of Voldemort and the actual letting out of school, I think. I don't know. There's going to be a couple of weeks where they're still at Hogwarts. That, that's my plan. <laughs> Whether that's canon or not, that's my plan. And so when Draco gets the letter, he realizes that his father has freed him. He's free. And so he goes to Harry. And they bond before anybody can interfere. Because the only thing ever holding them back was Draco did not want his guide exposed to the dark life that his father led. And so, but in Gravity, um, Harry and Hermione go to Godric's Hollow and they find um, a ritual circle behind either under the cottage or behind the cottage. I haven't decided. Maybe under the cottage. And um, I have it. That, that's an iffy thing on my plot. I don't know if I want them to be outside or not. So I'm, I, I'm still trying to decide that. Um, and um, Lily has left a ritual behind, and the and the and the circle is sentient. It has sentient magic in it, and um, basically. Hermione comes to realize that they're both kind of struggling under compulsions and potions and they don't know what they are doing. And this ritual will will cleanse them. And what she doesn't know is that Dumbledore has suppressed them um, and that they're Sentinel and Guide. I'm taking that from my other story. I'm going to shift it and do something different with with the concept. And that they're the only ones being suppressed not and that he suppressed it to keep Harry under his thumb and so they do the ritual not knowing that they're going to wake up Sentinel and God so my idea is very contained it's a very contained um it begins and ends in Godric Hollow it's, it's not about Voldemort it's about them achieving what um they're meant to be well, I think I think with Harry Potter contained is the key to keeping it shorter, right? You have to have yes, yes. you have to have limits. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. Well, I mean, I had several ideas that were um, my favorite idea that I came up with for the challenge was way too big, um, which was that. Um, Mine too. That there's that this this this, this psionic. Um, the 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 barrier between worlds is thin in places um, between realm between um, oh my planes of existence the spirit planes and the various different higher planes that there's there's places on the physical plane where it, that barrier is thinner and that it's only in those places that spirit guides who are unbonded can cross over from the psionic plane. And mm-hmm. so spirit guides don't go and find sentinels and guides. Sentinel and guides go to find spirit guides. So it was something before they could test and tell if you were a spirit guide, it was like a pilgrimage that pe- people in all cultures did. Not everybody did it, but if you wanted to be a sentinel or guide or you wanted to know, you would make a, like a pilgrimage. And some people would do it more than one time in their life. 
to these places throughout the world um, where this barrier was thin and the spirit guides would cross over and you would go in and you would see if you were chosen. And as the world evolved and technology evolved, eventually only those who were determined to have latent genetics go and do this thing. Um, and I wanted to write this story where there is this sort of very clearly very important spirit guide, sort of a very majestic. I'm torn between like lion and tiger on this one, but um, that keeps showing up and not cho- choosing anybody. It's like they're waiting for somebody and um, they're waiting for Tony because but Tony doesn't know that he's latent because his father falsified some tests when he was a kid. Um, and that this this spirit guide is waiting for Tony to come. And it's kind of sad that Tony keeps not coming. But eventually, because of a um, uh, Ziva actually figures out, not figures out, but it's in his NCIS file that he's latent, but they don't actually tell him that he's latent because they assume he may know he's latent because um, it comes up in his blood work. And Ziva taunts him about it after she comes on the team about how, you know, he's never been chosen and he's befuddled by that. And he goes and gets retested and finds out that his father had done this. Anyway, so he goes and he's chosen by this thing. So that was, so it was this whole big thing about, um, are you cop teasing us at this point or is this going to happen? <laughs> I really, cause I am going to happen. I'm 110% on board with this story already. <laughs> And it would be it, this would be this would be mothership and Steve. There, it was actually a pair of animals, um, pair. And I'm thinking tigers, but I might do lions. Um, that there's a, it's a pair, and it's actually the kind of the the original, the first. The, you kind of think of them as like the original spirit guides, and they're coming back to um, sort of break down the barrier between the realms, between the planes, so that they're spirit guides and um that there's it's not so infuse more gifts to humans anyway um but they need these people to um they need these people to um they need they need the these these two spirit guides to to find their their human counterparts and steve Steve was found. He found his. So he's been waiting, and and Tony keeps not showing up. And um, so yeah, so this this idea, I actually when I kind of worked out like the plot, I was figuring it's like a hundred k was where that story was, and I was like, I can't even, I can't even. <laughs> That's just way too big. I was trying to figure out how to do. I was actually talking to him about the idea. And she kind of paused and she said, you know, that's not a short story, right? I said, I know. I'm trying to figure out if I can, like, carve off a piece of it and make a short story. And and I decided it really wasn't going to work. So I didn't feel like I could even really get through the bonding no, and everything. No, I don't think it's actually a kind of the kind of idea that I put in the episode format either. No, it, it's a novel. It's it's a it's a. It's a it's a novel. It's one it's one story. If, you know, I can't even break it up into novellas. It's one story. So, um, so I decided that I needed to just kind of let that one go for now. Um, it was one of the one of the ideas that was just really too big. Um, but I just wanted to kind of it was I was looking for ways to kind of turn some of the stuff I've written before on its head. And one of the things that I thought would be interesting was that the humans go to humans want to be chosen, and if you want to be, you go to be chosen as opposed to the spirit guide comes to you. Um, so that's kind of what that idea was kind of born from. 
Oh, I like the idea a lot. It, it's nice. But I felt like I didn't want to kind of get a religious vibe about it, but it kind of would be kind of like a, a coming of age, rite of passage thing at some point. That kind of so there kind of is a lot of kind of become like these sacred elements around it of like this is something that you do. You don't have to, but and and you know your 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 journey to the you know to the sanctuary um, was a private thing, and you know it wasn't shameful to be not be chosen, but it was just something you could talk about or not. People didn't ask you. They didn't. So like Ziva bringing it up to Tony that he's never been chosen was like a huge breach of social protocol. Um, mm-hmm. like, not surprised because she's thing. an asshole. She is an asshole and she wants to taunt him. So, um, yeah, it would have been. It was part of the dossier she worked up on him. So it's not like she just hacked into his medical record. She worked up a dossier on him. Yeah, so... Um, but yeah, so it. I do like was, her being responsible for him getting picked. <laughs> that's so. I know. It's, <laughs> it's so Ziva much karma. <laughs> Thanks, Ziva. Because um, she doesn't have any idea that he doesn't know. So. Um, yeah, so I that was my favorite idea, the stuff that I was plotting, and then um, I. Uh, And then I got uh, that's that's another idea that was shorter, but I already had one short idea, and I didn't have a second that I was was workable. And then I came up with another idea for another short one, um, which was the Tony Sentinel, Denozo Sentinel one, and um, that um, is the one right now that I'm most excited about. Although um, my I can't keep my titles straight in my fucking head because I picked ACDC <laughs> song titles and. I keep. I remember "Send for the Man," but I cannot remember the other one. I can't remember the title of the other one. It's just it maybe me. you need like, to do your art, and that will help. That probably would help. Yeah, it's some art. Um, it, it, the, the, um, the title will get in your head. Stick around. The other I one's called some, "Stick Around." I had some great ideas that were uh, way too long. My favorite being the one where the prophecy is actually about James Potter. Because the night his son is born, he comes online as a sentinel. I love that idea when you brought it up. I love that but idea. But it is it, the first two chapters might be fifteen k. <laughs> Could be closer <laughs> to twenty. I'm like, no, that's not gone. No, that's not gone. And the other one is one where uh, Penelope is Ian's Ian. Uh, I forget his last name. Edgerton. Edgerton, Ian Edgerton's guide, and they they work together as a team through, um, he keeps the headset on, um, and she does too, and he, she keeps the line open for him when when he's in the field or just when they're at home, you know, whenever. If she, if, if he's not with her, he has, he has audio of her just going about her day, and a serial killer makes the mistake of um, coming to the BAU. Big mistake. The one that shot her in Penelope, uh, the episode Penelope. Um, because I've kind of finagled that where she would actually be doing that, doing what she was doing in a more sanctioned fashion. And um, she's kind of public profile because she's a guide and she's doing this. And um, he uh, comes to the BAU uh, 
and the moment she encounters him, she realizes that he's he's a bad guy. She's a god. She knows he's not he's not presenting what he actually is. And so um, Ian can hear her heartbeat through the line. He he hears her get really really upset, and so by the time he reaches her, this dude has lost his plot, and then he loses his head. Because Ian rips it off. Um, and so I plotted that, and I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's about that's hands on. That's <laughs> that's about thirty k. <laughs> that's about thirty k. So, yeah, grab the head, combat knife, a little too deep, separation. In a feral state is is entirely possible in that situation, so um, that is um, and um, see while the team knows that Penelope is a, is an online guide and they have had some interaction with her sentinel, they've never had a lot. <laughs> and he's probably a little bit fierce for that particular team. Uh, yeah, and so they really, because none of them are Sentinels or Guides. She's the only guide. Um, so nobody on the team really um, interacts with uh, with with her Sentinel. And so, um, anyway, it's about 30K, so that's not going to happen. Um, um, and um, I've written, I've written Decapitation, um, Spot does it in uh, Wrath. Oh, he but it was by accident. Well, it falls off during transport. <laughs> <laughs> so he mostly ripped it off. He sort yeah, of like, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not his nearly fault that the dudes transporting the bodies weren't as careful as they should be. But Spock is also a Vulcan, and he's very strong. So I was like, huh. So I might actually have a thing for beheadings that I wasn't aware of. Um, no, the knife is actually in; is still in Jim. Pike wouldn't let Jim remove the knife because if you get stabbed, just for for reference, people, yeah. I don't want you to get stabbed. But if you get stabbed, do not remove the knife. That is the yeah, work it, of, it, of a professional. That that can be what that can be the thing keeping you alive. If you if they've hit some sort of artery, the whatever the penetrating object is can be what's keeping you from bleeding to death. In fact, it's Steve actually Irwin, actually, when he was when when, when he was um, stung, if he hadn't pulled that out, he would have lived. He actually there's, there's damaged his heart more pulling it out and they couldn't stop the bleeding but if he left it in and got medical help he would have lived but he had an automatic reaction i mean i'm not blaming him for his death that's the kind of thing if it happened you would want you'd immediately work to stick it out to get it out you know i understand his gut reaction his his spontaneous you know reflex to get it out of his body i get it there is because there is a if something comes is in you 
there isn't a reflexive action to go for it and pull it out, which is why if you're ever with somebody who winds up with a penetrating wound and they start reaching for it, even if you don't know first aid, you need to advise them to leave it alone. Because you, you don't, don't know. That. Leave it, it could be this. Leave it in place. Yeah. What para, even, even paramedics won't remove it. They just pack it. They pack around it and they stabilize it so it can't shift and transport it with the penetrating object in place. In that scene, Jim reaches for the knife and Pike stops him and says, no, don't leave it. Well, now I need to go read Wrath again just because it sounds awesome. I've read it many times, but <laughs> sometimes we talk, sometimes we talk but, about a story and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go read that again. But, yeah, I mean, if you have a penetrating wound of any kind, do not attempt to remove whatever what's in your body. Seek help. Do everything you can to keep it stable, keep the wound stable, keep the blood as keep as much you know bleeding down as possible, but do not remove the object, whatever it is. Don't even attempt it. Yeah, and if found it's, please it's, return, it's, it's, don't you want to death. And if found Tony had wanted Ducky to remove the bullet in his arm in 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 down in um in in autopsy and Ducky's like, I can't do that here. I don't know what that bullet is pressing against. I don't know. You could, it could be acting as a cork, and I'm not. I don't have the facility here. If there's ex- extreme, if there's you know traumatic bleeding, you have to go to the hospital. Yeah, when I was um, writing Wrath, I. Uh... It, it was really hard to keep the characterization that I established in my head of them entangled destinies out of it. Because this Jim and Spock are not the Jim and Spock from Tangled Destinies. The Jim and Spock and Tangled Destinies are, are young and they're very, um, a lot of ways they're very innocent. And they're, um, reactionary and yeah and and young and they're in love and um romantic yes they're very romantic about each other and so it was really hard to keep that sweetness thank you sahara out of wrath <laughs> because they're not I, sweet I can do that. they're they're grown men you get you get a head cannon and it can be difficult to work around. Yes, which is yes. why which is why Tony and John Shepard will never be banging. Um, right, right. Is that you, you? You totally ruined that for me. I could never ship it in a million years. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, so sometimes sometimes I can I can put it as I get a hell okay. My head cannon is such. I mean, I'm more of a Harry Draco shipper than a Harry and Draco's brother brothers, but I kind of almost ruined myself in restoration with them being brothers. Um, so, but I can compartmentalize that to work on them being pairing in other stories. But you have to be, you have to be careful because sometimes sometimes you think you're gonna be, you think I'm gonna do this thing that's not my usual thing, it, it'll be okay. I'll be able to compartmentalize it later, and then you can't. <laughs> you're like. Oh well, now I've ruined myself. 
Also, that head uh, you've just... also secondhand ruined me for Steve McGarrett and John Shepard. Um, not that I would actually, I mean, I used to be able to read it, but I would never write it because my OTP is McKay Shepard. I mean, it, that is my one true OTP. There, there's no other. Um, even writing a scene where John just had casual sex with somebody, um, I had expectations that it would be difficult. It wasn't because he wasn't in love with him. He was just banging it. Right. He was just having and, fun. And, it, and, and, and he wasn't cheating, so it was okay. But um, I can't even pair, I can't even read John Shepard and Steve McGarrett anymore because I'm thinking, why the hell, John, are you banging your brother's man? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you interfere he, with the mothership? <laughs> he's Bethel. That's. That dick belongs to Tony. What the hell are you doing? Right? <laughs> Could be terrible. Dark says, be careful who you make related in fandoms for a work, lest you cock block a pairing from that point forward. Yeah. It can be terrible. Yeah. And that also, that actually kind of does tie into expectations because you can set reader expectations, um, sometimes inadvertently, if you do something multiple times as a writer. If you use a trope multiple times, which isn't a problem, you do you. I mean, I use the same tropes over and over and over and over and over again. Um, I love tropes. It's my favorite part yeah, of fandom trope. because um, I, that's I know. why, you know, and I'm like, I don't even feel guilty. That cliches, tropes, I'm going to be all up in it. Harry's going to have a shopping trip. <laughs> One I way or another, I think Harry's getting some new shit. <laughs> that's right. I see, I see people dissing tropes, and I do not get that, because you cannot write. Nobody is writing things that doesn't have tropes in it. There are actually people out there who will analyze movies and books and explain what tropes they're using. You cannot write something. That isn't a trope. You, you you write a slice of life. Hello, folks. That's the trope. Depending upon what you're doing, it might even be curtain thick. Um, you <laughs> you can't escape it. So why dish it? Why go? Oh, I'm not going to use any of these any any of these you know fandom tropes. Well, excuse me. Well, then what tropes are you planning to use? I'm not going to use any tropes. Yes, you are. Yeah, you are. Everybody uses them. It, it can't be. It, it, no. Um, oh, that's interesting. And so, sorry, I got distracted. Sometimes I get distracted by an interesting comment. But tropes are tropes are a part of writing. You you do them whether you realize you're doing them or not. Um, and you may not recognize it as a trope, but somebody will. So you just just get just get in and embrace it. Um, so, but if you're doing the same thing, if you're exploring the same thing quite frequently. Um, again, no problem. I do it. Everybody, so some people really love to explore the same things over, same themes over and over. You might set an expectation about relationship or pairing or backstory or whatever in the minds of your readers, and your readers can come in to the story thinking it's going to be a certain way, and um, it it won't be, and it'll it, it can kind of throw them. Um, 
which isn't a problem. But sometimes if you're kind of really going off of something that is a strong headcanon for you and they know it's a strong headcanon for you, an author note might help. Like just saying, set the expectation. This is going to be a little bit different from the other stuff I've written. It's not a long author note that people aren't going to read because it's important to expectation setting. You don't want to write a tome about it. You just want to say, <laughs> I know I use If your author note is related. longer than your story, you, you might have a problem. A problem. <laughs> um. I mentioned this on the podcast once. I kid you not, I took a story once where I was so fed up with the author notes because most of the author notes were actually review responses. Um, it's one of the things I hate about fanfiction.net oh. is people who do review responses. Um, review responses, updates, promises about when they'd post again, apologies for not posting on time. Um, just every single chapter was riddled with author notes. Like, and I'm talking about author notes that I had to scroll multiple pages to get past. And um, I took this hundred some odd thousand word fic, as I recall, I think it was the size. I know I reduced the size by a huge amount. And I put it in Word and I stripped out those author notes so that I would quit irritating me and I could finish reading the story that I was enjoying. I took a hundred thousand word story down by 30%. Wow. That's just wrong. So, um, the thing is, author notes, I want people to read my author notes, right? I want them to know that there's information. And you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to put an author note. There's, there's things that I would never do in original fiction that I wind up doing in fan fiction because there's no way to explain. It. Like, let's say you're having an event not happen, like dead air didn't happen. There's no way for the character in a, in a, in, who isn't supposed to be aware, you're like breaking the fourth wall if the character is aware that that event didn't happen. <laughs> um, there's no way to really easily, elegantly explain events that don't happen. So that is where an author note comes in. This event didn't happen. And you set the expectation and you move on. Um, because it's just not, there's no way to really address that narrative in a way that is not completely breaking the suspension of disbelief. So, like, in one of the stories um, in July, I'm going to just do a brief explanation at the beginning about why Tony Donzo's name is not Tony Donzo, because it's not in the story. And there's really no way um, early in the story at the point where it would be confusing to address that in the narrative that's not clunky. And it's a kind of a corner case that only comes up in fandom. Um, so you just address that in author notes, Right. That's just something, you know, those are the kinds of things you need to be putting in an author note and hope that people read. But if you're cluttering <laughs> your author notes with a bunch of garbage that people aren't going to read, um, then your author notes really aren't serving their purpose. So I read something recently. I was, I was enjoying it. It wasn't uh, – it had some tangents. I was reading a story that had some tangents. But some of the tangents actually, these little side plots that weren't really necessary to the story, but they were – I was intrigued by them, and there was enough time spent on these little side plots and tangents and stuff that I wanted to see where they were going to go. And I get to the end of the story, and summary it was recommended, and I get to the end of the story, and none of these side plots were wrapped up. It's just nothing. They just, they were gone. And this is a person who left voluminous author notes on every chapter, and most of them were of the weird spoiler variety. Like they leave, <laughs> they would, 
they would spoil their own chapter. Here's what I'm doing in this chapter. It wasn't a summary. It was weird synopsis about what was going to happen in the chapter, plus promises about when they were going to post next and what was going to be in the next chapter, which never was in the next chapter. So anyway, it was this, they had this really weird author note at beginning and end thing that it was just completely useless, and I got, I got really irritated by the spoilers. It'd be kind of like going, you know, um, you'll see in this chapter if Jane and Bob are having a boy or a girl, hint, it's a girl. That's the kind of author note she was putting in. <laughs> <laughs> um, why are you stay spoiling the story? Yeah, stay tuned to see Meanwhile, Bob, and, Bob and Jane. So I just started skipping the author notes. So I'm talking to some person who recommended the story to me, and they said, and I said, I was really irritated not to find out what happened with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. These, all these side plots. And she said, oh, well, that was addressed in an author note way back at, at, like, you know, like three quarters of the way through the story. I was like, what? And she went and found it so I could go look. And at the bottom of this author note, it said, this person, this is what happens. And, she said, well, and the author note said, I'm done. I think the part of this story, the part with these side plots, the part that they interacted with the main characters was over. And that here's how each of the side plots resolved. So she kind of gave this funny oh, little summary. Oh, God. It was something that could have been addressed really easily in in the epilogue, which the story had an epilogue. It it could have been really addressed really easily in the epilogue, the character thinking about the consequences for all these characters, what had happened with all these other characters. But instead it just faded off into nothing, and it was addressed in an author note what the outcome of all of these side plots was, but they weren't important to the main plot anymore. And it was like she was saying it was going to be bad craft to continue following those side plots. And I was like, oh, my uh, God. Uh, and this is at the end of her spoilers. So she gave all of her spoilers for the chapter, which is why I wasn't reading it. And after her chapter spoilers was this little summary of what happened to all these characters who are now no longer in the story. And I went, what? And so I missed it completely because I wasn't re- I, was, I got fed up with those spoilers in the second chapter. So I was skipping her author notes completely. So, I mean, th- this is a case of you as a, if you as a writer are setting this expectation that you are imparting nonsense in your author notes, you don't get to be mad when readers aren't reading your author notes. You put, if you put important information in your – well, for starters, don't fucking wrap up plot points in an author note. What the hell? Second point, <laughs> if, you, if, if you are going to put vital information in an author note, you can't use author notes for nonsense. You just – nobody's going to read that shit. If people know you're only giving important information in author notes, they'll read them. I mean, this is a case of where your readers learn what you do, and they know – what to expect from you. And if their expectation of you is cat updates and spoilers and reviews, review responses and all that kind of crap in your author notes, they're not going to read them. They're not going to. Uh, I mean, there's probably four or five readers out there who will because they want to engage with you about your cat. Unless but, they enjoy your cat updates. <laughs> which they might. Um, but seriously, put your cat updates on Twitter. Let's move on, you know. But you don't. you don't... <laughs> You're setting the expectation as an author that your author notes are not important to the story. Okay, that is an expectation you are setting when you put non-story garbage in the author notes. So that when you slip in important story information into the author notes, it's it's a given that it's going to get missed. So don't 
don't. I mean, set you expectations form <laughs> without intention. Actually, if I had known if I had known ahead of time that story was going to be like that, I wouldn't have read it. To wrap up your subplots, it's bad craft to wrap up your subplots. In an author note. Because in in theory, your author note should be at the top of your story, and that should be it, right? And the, the rest of your story, anything that's not story content should be able to be stripped out, and except perhaps translations, and everything works. Everything should be, you know, comprehensible. So for those of you who post whips, if you have an important author note that you need to add into a story and you're on chapter 20, I really strongly encourage you to go put that at the top of chapter one. Put it in your story author notes, not in a chapter author note. Or put it in the chapter author note maybe in both places and then strip it out later. I mean, when I was posting on AO3, um, I never really posted whips on AO3, um, but I took author notes from when I posted on Rough Trade. You know, every time I had to add an author note to a story, that made it into my story notes. I didn't have author notes by chapter. Unless I was doing a warning reminder on a chapter, like extra warning, violence ahead kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of... I wonder if I needed extra warnings on Darkly Lowell. I probably did. <laughs> I think you upped your Volcano warnings. Volcano warnings, Nundu warnings. I don't know that I you can... I, I mean, there's... I mean, <laughs> I, I I just finished chapter 23 of Darkly Little. Uh, it's a new chapter. I got two more chapters to go, and I'll be done. Um, and I killed Molly Weasley again. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. But you know, I killed her twice. Chapter one when they before they traveled back in time, and so um, I killed her again. <laughs> I I want to I need to like I need to like make you a little bit of a little art like a murder board, um that you can add X's to like I don't know like put it at the end of each <laughs> chapter or something like like they like they've like a whiteboard or something like that you could X off who got killed in that chapter. I do look that part. The murder board. I do have a database <laughs> of um the deaths because it, it was really difficult to keep up with, even with my plot document. So I had to make an Excel spreadsheet um, to keep up with um, when they died, what chapter they died in, how they died, and who did it. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to keep track of that stuff. Otherwise, you would kill people multiple times and in multiple ways. Yeah. And that's just abuse yeah. of a time turner. <laughs> Which is also, well, you know what, though? That would actually be funny if Harry, like, like, just imagine, like, they're working at the ministry, and Harry comes in from, you know, being, you know, a magical cop, and <laughs> Hermione's in the Department of Mysteries, and he says, I need to borrow a time turner. Why? Well, I killed so-and-so in the line of duty today, and I've been cleared, but what, do you feel bad? No, I want to go do it again, actually. <laughs> It wasn't very satisfying. I'd like to go back and do it again. A couple of times. Well, Harry has to know how time. I don't care. 
give me the time turner. <laughs> but that is actually a kind of minor plot point in um, Vengeful Measures that the time ritual that Harry finds in um, Grimwald Place actually exists because a black ancestor created it so he could go back in time and kill somebody again. <laughs> With more vigor. <laughs> we should. Somebody mentioned a clue board game. For Dr. Loyal, we should do get do one of those bingo card randomizers. And everybody gets a different <laughs> bingo card. And as you're reading, you cross off people as they die. And, like, the first person to, like, get an X bingo or whatever. Um, I don't know. Get the cookies. <laughs> It was actually a lot of fun to write. I, I really enjoy writing Darkly Little. And I do I just have two chapters left, and then um, it'll go into beta. Um, so I need somebody to come in behind me and make sure I actually haven't killed anybody twice and to make sure that all my plot points are, are on point, so to speak. Um, and um, actually, I think that Darkly Little might make a really good Cards Against Humanity game. <laughs> I think it would, yeah. I agree. <laughs> you like characters and then and then methods of death. <laughs> no, you get alcohol poisoning. You can't make it a drinking game. Because hold on. Let me tell you how people are dead currently in um um Darkly Gotta get my database out. It's actually called the kill list. Um let's see, um <laughs> There have been 63 in Darkly Lull, and some of them are duplicates because some died in the future and in the past. Uh, like like Percy and Molly, they died twice. Um, Ron died twice. Um, and the, the unnamed um, magical cops, I didn't give them names, so they don't really count. Okay, so um, I have three Death Eaters left in Voldemort, and I have... Seven of the Lux Ordinus um, Zealot Order left. So um, it's 63, um, no, 62 because there's the line for the um, database titles. So it's 62 dead, and I've got... I can't take that many shots. I've got um, 11 more to kill. <laughs> and, I, and I got two chapters left. So, okay, so there are only 25 shots in the fifth. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's three no, bottles of booze, folks. You can't make it a drinking game. <laughs> Not even if you It'd only count the people you think deserve to die. You, you still get alcohol poisoning, so... You, you need sipping sherry and taking very tiny sips. How about you get a bag of marshmallows <laughs> and eat a marshmallow every time somebody dies? That would be fun and less likely to kill you unless you have diabetes. And then don't get sugar. Um, don't get marshmallows. Get something popcorn. Get some popcorn. <laughs> no, I read... I read something where this person had a severe quote unquote marshmallow allergy and 
Eat, nobody has a marshmallow allergy, okay? You're allergic to something in the marshmallows. And the most likely thing you'd be allergic to in a marshmallow is the gelatin. gelatin. And there are people who have yeah. really severe gelatin allergies. But if you have a severe gelatin allergy, marshmallows is not the thing you're avoiding, okay? It is jellies and jams and there, any kind of pill that Jello. has a capsule on it. Yeah, there's all these Jello. things that you're avoiding in life way beyond marshmallows. So to tell people I'm allergic to marshmallows is ridiculous. It was a touch strange. I had a little bit of a head tilt moment. I go, and especially in the story, they had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I went, uh huh. Yeah. That's like that time I gave Sebastian the peanut order um, uh, allergy, and then a couple of episodes later in that series, I let him have a Snickers bar. I totally killed the kid. <laughs> For a while, they, they had what? an almond what? Snickers. One of my readers pointed out oh. to me, did you did you forget that Sebastian has a peanut allergy? Oh, I, yes, I did. <laughs> I had to edit it. Excuse me, I gave him an almond Snickers. What's the matter with you? I wouldn't kill that kid. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, my mom loves, yeah, we, we have a, my mom loves yeah. almond Snickers. We have 53 seconds left. Um I'm not sure we stayed entirely on topic, but I had fun. So uh, we'll too. see you guys next week. And remember that uh, that we're open for sign-ups on the 15th. And I want to thank everybody who's donated so far. I really appreciate it. It goes a long way towards um, keeping everything up and running. Say so good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.